Let us go to God in prayer. Lord God, our Father, we have heard your word read. We ask that your Holy Spirit will help us to meditate and reflect on that word as we take it in together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Two weeks ago, Reverend Paul Christie preached on Martha and Mary for MW Sunday. And I hadn't realized you would choose that text. So you're going to get a double dose these three weeks. And so as a way of refresher, the message that Reverend Paul Christie shared was how we need to move from distraction to devotion through a conscious decision that we make. Let me take a slightly different perspective on this text. Going back a little bit, if we look at what we have been uh, reflecting on together in Luke, Jesus is now on his way to Jerusalem. He has finished with doing ministry, preaching, teaching, uh, deliverance, and all the rest of it in the region of Galilee, near his hometown. He was now moving south to go to Jerusalem on his final journey. It wasn't a straight uh, journey. He wasn't heading directly there. But on the way, he would stop at villages and so on. At the same time, concentrating on teaching his disciples, preparing them for what would take place in Jerusalem and beyond. And as Luke tells the story... Today's text, chapter 10, verses 38 to 42, the story of Mary and Martha, is the second of three texts, kind of like a triplet, that speaks of a disciple's relationships. Firstly, in chapter 10, verses 25 to 37, which we looked at last, uh, well, I did that last week, at the evening service, and you can pick that up, uh, ask Angeline for a recording if you wish, or uh, pick it off the website when it comes on. The parable of the Good Samaritan, and that looks at a disciple's relationship with those around them. It calls disciples to be neighbours instead of defining who the disciple's neighbour should be. Today's text looks at the disciples' relationship with Jesus. And then next week, we will look at chapter 11, verses 1 to 13, which is about a relation, a disciple's relationship with God. And we'll look a little bit at prayer. And so today we look at one's relationship with Jesus as a disciple. And when we look at that, there needs to be a rhythm to that relationship. You know, in our lives, we have a certain rhythm, a routine which we go through. We get up, we eat, we work, we study, we go for recreation or get together with our friends and so on, and then we rest. So there is a certain rhythm 
And in our discipleship, there should be a rhythm as well. And it is a rhythm of paying attention and listening to Jesus and then getting out and going to work to serve him. Ambrose, the bishop of Milan in the 4th century, and St. Augustine's mentor said this, virtue does not have a single form. So it's not about, and I think Rand Paul Christie said this too, it's not about whether Martha or Mary are one against another. Jesus did say that Mary has chosen a better part and that will not be taken away from her. But yet, he did not rebuke Martha as such to say, don't do that. For Jesus, both the sisters were important and both what they did was important as well. Jesus had come to Martha's home in a village, and John tells us that it's at Bethany. That's where they lived. And this place, Martha's home for Jesus, seemed to be a place of respite, a hospitable place, a place for him to rest and to be among friends. And if you remember being out there, there were hostile, people who were hostile to him, people who would argue with him and so on. And surely Jesus needed rest and companionship. And although he was no longer moving in the crowds and all that, but spending time with his disciples, teaching them, they were not always getting it. And there were times when you can sense Jesus' frustration. And that can be tiring. So this was one place, Bethany, Martha's home, where he could stop, rest, have conversation, and maybe even share his heart a little bit with people who would welcome him, people who would provide a space for him. And so Martha, on this day, like all good hostesses, when a special guest comes, pulled out all stops to be hospitable and looking at Jesus, maybe seeing how tired he was, decides in her mind he needs feeding. Like many of our ladies, I realise. Now, you need to remember that it wasn't Jesus alone who had arrived at the house he had brought at least another 12 mouths for her to feed. And she had lots to do and needed help. The thing is, Martha did not mind the extra people to feed. Middle Eastern hospitality is such that she welcomed all who would come as friends. But then Mary, her one and only sister, the one who should be helping her in the kitchen was nowhere in the kitchen. Chinese say shadow also cannot see in the kitchen. And so she looked for Mary and lo and behold, Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet listening to him. And while that 
true was a posture of a disciple and what Jesus had allowed Mary to do was revolutionary to say the least. Martha thought Mary's place right at that moment was to be in the kitchen. And so when Martha made that request of Jesus, expecting him to be on her side, yeah, Martha, I can see you are so busy preparing food for us. Mary, please go and help. That was what Martha expected. Instead, Jesus replied, affirmed Mary's choice. And he was not going to take that choice or that freedom of choice she had made away from her. He was not going to take away what she had chosen, which was to sit at Jesus' feet as a disciple to listen to him. And maybe part of that listening involved hearing Jesus' heart, hearing him say, it's been tiring, giving him a space to share. At the same time, if we read it again, Jesus did not rebuke Martha. He simply observed how troubled she was and as a result, her spirit was ill at ease. She was upset. When was the last time, if you can remember, you were swamped with work and colleagues and those around you whom you thought should be helping you did not? Maybe they were in the pantry having a good old chit-chat. If you've been through that, you would know how Mary felt or Martha felt. Or maybe in a similar situation, how many of us, when we have had guests, we're busy in the kitchen, we expect family members to help, and there they are running around doing all sorts of things, chit-chatting with, yes, some people have to entertain guests. In Martha's case, although it's not mentioned, Lazarus would have been there. And so, Martha wanted to give her best, but did not have the help she thought she needed to do it. Let's fast forward a little bit and go to John chapter 12. Jesus is once again at Bethany, and it is six days before Passover. Six days before he would go to the cross. Once again, he is in this hospitable place and perhaps a last time with his beloved friends, a kind of breathing space, as it were, before the noise and the chaos of trial, the agony of his crucifixion. And John records for us simply this, Martha served. He notes Lazarus was there. But he says Martha served. There is no mention of her being distracted. And somehow it seems to imply that, uh, that there was an easy atmosphere there. It seemed like Martha had learned to serve without getting troubled or upset. Mary wasn't exactly helping her again in this instant. She was busy anointing Jesus' feet with perfume and wiping his feet with her hair. 
what brought about that change with Martha? And as I look at these texts, I believe that Jesus saying those words to Martha made her pause and think. There are times when we are caught up in what we do, we are not able to see how upset we are, how stressed we are. We feel the tension, our bodies feel the tension, but consciously uh, we keep going because we say things need to be done and we're not aware of the condition of our hearts and how we are being driven. Jesus' gentle word to Martha that she was worried and upset. Uh, gentle because he says her names twice. That most likely kind of woke her up to her condition. Not that Martha said, okay, yeah, I'm like that, swallow it, keep it in, not complain, grit her teeth and get on with it. But given her association with Jesus, she most likely learned to pause, reflect on what was going on in her heart and what Jesus really wanted of her. Not a sumptuous meal, but to be with him. Yes, food had to be prepared, but it did not have to be elaborate. And I remember talking once with one of my lecturers about, you know, being in a pastorate, the work that needs to be done, and how, yeah, I realized I need to make time to spend with God. More often than not, in the busyness of our day, Time with God is the first thing to go out the window. And this is what she said. You need to be a contemplative in action. Does that sound contradictory? The picture you see is an old picture of a Jesuit uh, recruitment poster of a contemplative in action. Some guy with his nose in the book uh, dealing with a crocodile on one hand and sawing wood on the other. How can someone be who is contemplating also be in action? We tend to think of contemplative as someone who spends time alone, maybe in a cave somewhere or in a solitary place somewhere, dreaming about things and maybe even out of touch with the world. Uh, Jesuit priest Father William Barry sees it like this. He describes it as the kind of friendship that develops over a long time between two people. They are aware of each other even when they are apart or not directly engaging with each other, although they may not be talking at some deep level, they are in touch with each other. And so Ignatius' contemplative in action has such a relationship with God. Engaging closely with God over time, we allow the Spirit to transform us into people who are more like the images of God we are created to be. That is, more like Jesus, who was clearly a contemplative in action. 
And even with Jesus, we see him engaging in this rhythm. We hear at intervals in the gospel or as we read the gospel, we see Jesus coming away to be with God and then going back out into the action. So a contemplative in action is someone who has learned to live in the rhythm of working and then stopping to rest and reflect with God. In other words, we need to be both Martha and Mary, actively serving and at the same time spending time with Jesus in such a way that when we go back out to serve, we are aware or we know at a deep place in our hearts that Jesus is with us. Today is Pentecost Sunday, the day that Jesus' promise of the Holy Spirit coming upon his disciples was fulfilled and the church was born. At that moment, when the Holy Spirit came, if we read, the disciples were not running around outside. They were praying or they were together waiting in the upper room. And it was only after the Holy Spirit came upon them that the disciples moved out to begin sharing the good news and reaching out to those in need. And even Jesus told them that you stay, don't be running around, stay until you are clothed with power from on high. And so Acts chapter 2 verse, verses 42 to 47 tells us a little bit about the rhythm that the church practiced. First, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers, spending time together with each other and with God. All came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. They went out then to minister, to heal, to preach and to teach. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. So very active out there. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all people, coming back again to be together with each other and with God. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. It was not just the first disciples who practiced this rhythm, but also with Barnabas and Paul, the church in Antioch in Acts chapter 13. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Nisha, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a member of the court of Herod, the ruler, and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off with God and then out to be with people. We find the Lord also speaking to Paul 
at various points. If you read through Acts, we find that the Lord comes to Paul to encourage him, to affirm him, and to strengthen him. And so Paul practiced this rhythm of spending time with God, then going out to preach the good news. How else was he able to face those who were hostile to him? His sustenance came from the times he spent with God in private. Not only that, when they were out there serving, doing God's work, they had an awareness that God's presence was with them in the person of the Holy Spirit. And this kind of awareness can only come as we day after day make time to spend with the Lord. If the disciples in the early church and even our Lord Jesus himself needed time away to rest, to reflect, to look at their own hearts together with God, how much more you and I need that? And one of my fears is that we don't. And as a result, we lose sight of God's call to us. We burn out. We get discouraged when we have not had time with the Lord, when we have not allowed Him to refresh us and speak to the deepest needs of our hearts. We need God's word of encouragement, God's word of affirmation. God waits for us to come to Him to speak that to us. When we look back at the transfiguration, and this was several weeks ago, God's voice not only affirmed Jesus as God's Messiah, God's chosen, but one of the things, it echoed what God had said at Jesus' baptism. This is my son. And at baptism, he says, whom I love, here whom I have chosen. And then there is something more. Listen to him for the benefit of the disciples. A contemplative in action is one who listens to Jesus and then returns to work, having been refreshed by that time with Jesus. <clears throat> and being a contemplative in action takes practice. And even though I was told this quite a number of years ago, I'm not there yet. I'm still practicing. Andy Otto, an author and a high school theology teacher who spent some years as a Jesuit novice, writes on the rhythm of contemplative action. And that diagram you see is from an article he has written. Stop, rest and reflect, go back to work, repeat. We need to stop our work. We need to stop multitasking as well. Because stopping helps us break out of going on and on and on and on and on. And the danger is that our work becomes mindless. When we stop, 
we are making time to acknowledge our experiences. We, in, in that stopping, we make time to acknowledge also the emotions that our experiences have given rise to. And then we rest and we reflect. This time for rest and reflection is like Mary sitting at Jesus' feet. We reflect on the experiences of the day and we share them with Jesus. You know, very often we think, Jesus already knows. Yes, he does. But this is something I had to learn as well. Uh, somebody who does spiritual direction said this to me. You know, yes, Jesus knows what we've been through. But when we come to him and sit at his feet and we tell him, not just the experience that's reporting, but when we tell him the emotions, when we tell him what we feel and what we are going through, it becomes an open door for Jesus to come in and be involved and minister to us. If you remember, Jesus says in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, many of us know this verse, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him. Sharing what is in our hearts with Jesus does that. It opens the door and allows him into our hearts to eat with us, to minister to us. And then like Mary, we listen. We hear how Jesus will respond to what we've shared. In this way, we begin then to look at the meaning and significance of our experiences and life becomes, uh, gathers a little bit more meaning. Uh, life deepens a little bit more in meaning and significance for us. One example could be when we are at work, somebody says something in the office and we feel our temperature shoot up. In our minds, we know that was a very disproportionate reaction. Why did we get so angry? We come to Jesus and we share that with him. You know, God, so-and-so said this, and I got really, really angry, and I'm not sure why, what was it? And as we bring this to Jesus in prayer, the Holy Spirit can prompt us, because Jesus is Lord of all life, and He knows all that has happened in our lives, and probably, possibly there is something that happened way back, an old wound that has triggered that reaction. And as he begins to show that to us, we can then surrender and say, Lord, would you please heal me? And let me assure you of this. Jesus will not scold us. If you read the text, the Gospels, he reserves scolding for the Pharisees, those who are self-righteous. When we come to him in all seriousness and sincerity and earnest to sit at his feet, he won't scold. 
and He will speak to us out of love. And what Jesus wants is for us to experience His love for us and to bring healing and wholeness to us. And after we have rested and reflected, we go back to work. We allow our time with Jesus to inform how we approach our work when we go back to it. We allow our time with Jesus to help us to see our colleagues or even our classmates if we are studying uh, in a different light, maybe. Perhaps we also begin to see a little bit more clearly our calling and how we see our work. A reflection like this can be done in 5, 10 minutes, 15 minutes during the day. We can take a breather. Some people do it half day, at lunchtime and then at night before they go to bed. Or we can do it just before we go to sleep and review the day. Our lives are in God's hands. And if we are in an intimate relationship with Jesus, then we are able to be active like Mary and contemplative and sitting at Jesus' feet like Mary, sorry, active like Martha. And we learn to see the world and our work from God's perspective. We don't end up finding work meaningless or mindless or being engaged in mere busyness. So the story of Mary and Martha is a story of the rhythm of a discipleship's, uh, of a disciple's relationship with Jesus. In this relationship, we listen to Jesus and then we go out to serve him. We join him in the work that he has already begun. And so let me invite us to take time, to make time to spend with Jesus, to look at our day. What was it like? Were there times in the day which you enjoyed? Give thanks to God for that. Were there times when you were disturbed, angry, restless, unsettled? Make time to sit at Jesus' feet and listen like Mary, talk to him about it and then listen to what he will show you. And my prayer is that all of us will be able to make time to sit at Jesus' feet. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, you stand at the door of our hearts and knock. And you call us if we hear your voice, to open the door. And it is only when we do that that you would come in to eat with us, to have fellowship with us. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you will lead and guide us so that we may be able to make time to sit at Jesus' feet and so we thank you, Abba Father, for your gift of your presence to us.
for the gift of your Holy Spirit to us. And as we now celebrate the Lord's Supper, we ask that we may know your presence in deeper, nearer ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.